Amen. Well, man, it's great to be back in the house of God, hey? And uh, obviously, you know, we have the fanciest building. Oh, that's my daughter. Hey, honey. How's it going? Keep the back. No. Um, that's so cool. We have lots of kids around. This is awesome to have kids in the building uh, with summer and our limited, yeah, volunteering capacity uh, over the road that won 80 kids. Uh, if you want to get your kids taken care of, we need more volunteers, so come, come see us at the back. Uh, if you didn't catch it in the booth, we are taking a three-week break for 180 kids, so there's going to be even more kids in our Sunday services for the next few weeks. Uh, and then after that, we're hoping to kick back into gear as much as we can uh, with our childcare. But if you do need uh, yeah, a breather, if my kids need a break, we have a live feed in the foyer where they can make as much noise as they uh, possibly can, um, which is a lot. We'll probably still hear them. But yeah, my name's Andy. It's such a pleasure uh, to, to, to be with you. If we haven't met, there's tons of new faces here. Honestly, you might, this might be your first week or you might have been joining us since COVID. You may feel new to community. Just want to encourage you that there is a bunch of people who are new since COVID. Um, so even though you feel like the new person, even though you feel like you've only been here a couple weeks, say hi to the people around you. You could actually be used by God to greet those around you as well. But uh, getting into the message here, I was thinking um, before we open the scriptures uh, to the Gospel of Matthew, I was thinking just this story kept coming up to mind when I thought about today's subject. And uh, sort of rewinding uh, back to 2018, there was this news story that encapsulated the news. It totally took over worldwide news for about two weeks. And uh, the outcome was unknown. We didn't know what was going to happen. We didn't know if we were going to get good news or bad news. Who can remember anything before COVID? I can't. But let's, let's go back to a simpler time, 2018. Anyway, on July 3rd, 2018, if you remember, there was this little soccer team in northern Thailand. Uh, they were called the Wild Boars. What a great name. I think that's probably a translated name. But they were called the Wild Boars. And they went on a little exploration trip after their soccer practice. Who knows what news story I'm talking about? Okay, some good memories so far. So anyway, these uh, boys sort of between the age of 11 and 16 went down this cave in northern Thailand. They went to explore. This cave is kilometers upon kilometers deep. They ended up about four kilometers deep in this cave, which just for perspective is about from here to downtown Nanaimo, about the, the waterfront where we're going to have Love Your City. They went that far into the cave. And when they got inside, what happened? A surprise flood happened. There was a monsoon. It was the very beginning of the monsoon season. And man, this assistant coach, one of their youth leaders, took them down the tunnel uh, for, for, for a brave little trip. Are people remembering this story now? Do you remember? Anyway, this took over world news um, for that period of time. And I think it did because it, it drew Everybody in, you know, it doesn't, didn't matter what culture you were from. It didn't matter what language you spoke. We could, we all agree with this notion that, yeah, our kids get together in groups, groups of boys play soccer, and then afterwards they go on little trips and they get themselves into trouble, right? That's generally what happens. Uh, we've got kids, uh, we sort of oversee the youth group as well, part of the, the leadership team. And every time the youth group does an outing or something, I, I'm intently glued to my phone, especially towards the end of the trip, to make sure everything goes okay. Anyway, on this trip, the kids didn't return home after soccer practice. And at about 7 p.m., the head soccer coach, who wasn't with them at the time, checks his phone, and he's got about 20 or 30 missed calls. 
And he eventually tracks down one of the kids, thank goodness, who didn't go, instead got picked up by his parents. A 13-year-old boy said, oh, I think they went off to the, the caves. And around 7 p.m., the head coach runs up to the caves, and instead of finding the kids, he finds their bicycles and their belongings strewn around the entrance to the tunnel and water pouring out of the cave system. And over the coming days, over the coming weeks, it just blew up. I don't know if you remember anything about the rescue efforts, but there were people from every nation coming um, to see how they could get these boys out of the tunnel. I think it was about nine days later. For nine days, those parents and their families had no idea if they were going to find these boys alive or dead. But nine days in, two British divers who were leading the exploration team down these nooks and crannies, these tight crevasses, this dry land into wetland, into strong currents and low visibility, they were setting their lines. One of the divers ran out of line and then went to the surface. And he says in his account that he smelt the boys, if you know anything, about young boys. He smelt them before he saw them. But can you imagine to their delight, there's this video online of him shining his light at these group of young, thin boys who had lost quite a bit of weight by that time as he found them and they knew that they were going to be rescued, although it wasn't quite that simple. The rescue efforts, can you believe this? It involved over 10,000 people 10,000 people went in to get these boys from over 100 national and international government agencies. You know, this was the, the, a world effort. I think Elon Musk even got involved saying he could drill through the mountain to get these boys out. He never got the chance, unfortunately, but everybody was coming up with a different plan. There was over a billion gallons, a billion liters of water pumped out and the grueling effort made by over 100 divers from the Thai Navy SEALs to international international rescue teams all converged on this point to make the rescue happen. A couple times a year, maybe, there's a story like this that comes along. And you remember just hearing the news that they had found the boys, but it wasn't over. Then they had to get the boys out through this cave system, you know, from here to downtown, but um, diving and submerging through water. It was a complex situation. It required training and guts and bravery, special skills, everybody coming together to make it happen. And guess what? They made it happen. They got them out. And it all hinged on people hearing the call. You know, some years ago, those, those boys would never have been found. The technology didn't exist or the call wouldn't have gone out to such a wide audience to say, this is something the whole world needs to do. This is a rescue that the whole world needs to come and be a part of. But the call went out, people heard the call and people with training and experience forgot all their differences, forgot about the barriers of language and anything else like this and came together for the common task. And that story just kept bubbling up to mind this week as I was prepping, as I get to preach on sort of the, the next two things in our mandate. Uh, Paul last week preached on that we are gathering and a healing community. Well, if you know us, we come back to this phrase often that we are gathering, healing, training, sending church. And I was thinking about how Jesus trains us and how Jesus sends us. Yeah, that story just kept coming up because the task that we have is gigantic, Right? The task that we have is way too complicated. It's against all odds. It's almost a no-hope situation. It's almost a situation where you just sort of throw up your hands, you give up, and you say, this is too tough. 
But Jesus, through his disciples, set in motion his rescue plan for the entire world. And as we look at that story of, you know, 11 or 12 boys coming out of the tunnel, Jesus set in motion through his simple disciples a way forward for the entire of mankind. These, the reason maybe why we've teamed up these two headings, and, and we could preach for a long time, we could, you know, extend this out and preach for a really long time in these sections, but one thing that you'll find, especially in the scriptures that we'll be in today, Matthew 10, is that Jesus doesn't really separate these two things of training and sending. It's a both and. You know, how many of you have a job where you actually had to learn on the job what your skill was? Maybe you're an apprentice, maybe you're a carpenter, maybe you're a plumber or something like that. You're actually invited on the job to figure out those skills because there's only so much, so many things you can learn from a book. And that's how Jesus treats us. That's how Jesus treated his disciples. And in the second year of his ministry, He's really focusing in on this point about how he gets his disciples to start doing exactly what he's doing. So if you have your Bible with you this morning, turn to Matthew chapter 9. That's where we're going to, well, Matthew chapter 10. We're just going to rewind a little bit into chapter 9 to see Jesus uh, set it up. Sorry, Mike, could I grab one of those water bottles when you have a chance? Um, Anyway, Matthew chapter 9, Jesus ends by calling for rescuers. You, this is a verse we know well. We've, we've said it you know, quite a few times in church recently, but in Matthew 9, 37 and 38, before he launches into the next chapter, he says to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out the laborers into his harvest. Translated back into that story, The rescue plan is huge. The rescue is daunting. The rescue is impossible. So pray for those trained individuals who can come and complete the rescue mission. Jesus then sends out his disciples. We believe, if you're new here today, we believe that we're that new generation of disciples of Jesus Christ. So when Jesus talked to his disciples, when he set them up, when he set them out on mission, we believe that he wants to do the same thing through his people today. This is not just a call for certain people here this morning. It's for everyone. If you like being spending time with Jesus, guess what? You're being trained by him. You're being equipped by him, and you're being sent out to do something. How many of you have trained for a job that you never ended up doing? Might be an, oh, Doug's, Doug's got his hand up. We've got to ask questions. I did a year like that. I did a year at school where I basically didn't know what I was doing. It was after my mandatory schooling. Around 18 years old, you have to pick something. And I picked engineering. I didn't know what to do. It was like throwing a dart at the board. And I did a year of engineering and then never touched it again in my life. Maybe some of you have trained for long periods of time, but can you imagine training your whole life for something? Can you imagine an, a, 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 a master pouring into a servant and then not using it? Those two divers who went, who, those two British divers who said, we're the most experienced divers in the world. We will come, we will lay down everything, our families, and we will come for the rescue mission. Jesus wants to do the same thing. If we're spending time with Jesus, he's training us. He's got something for us to do. The whole purpose of training is to go. The whole purpose of spending time with Jesus is to become like him and then to go. We could, I think I said this a few weeks ago when we we first had the restrictions lift, but we were still outside. 
It would be so easy to become inward focused right now. It would be so easy to celebrate. And some of our celebration this morning comes from the fact that we can gather here together again. We're just happy to be in the same room together again, right? But the reason why we're talking about this today is because we believe that, yes, we're happy, but we wanna get right back to the mission that God is setting us out for. Would you agree? So what we're gonna look at today is just simply just run through what Jesus tells his disciples in Matthew 10, five key headings that he tells them that are gonna happen when they go out. These are training pieces. These are equipping pieces. These are things that they are gonna need to know and thus we need to know as we go out into the mission field of our culture. There's a lot of scripture today, but that's not a bad thing. And it just should be an encouragement to you to open this passage, open this passage this week and find what God wants to speak directly to you as I just highlight some things. Anyway, let's begin in Matthew 10, verse five. He says this, Jesus, these 12 Jesus sent out. He just names them in the previous passage. Then he says, these 12 Jesus sent out instructing them, Go nowhere amongst the Gentiles. He's saying that because he hasn't died and been resurrected yet. Currently, the mission is still just for Israel, still just for the Jews. That will change on the Great Commission after, after Jesus uh, raises from the dead. Go nowhere amongst the Gentiles and enter no town of the Samaritans, but rather go to the lost sheep, the house of Israel, and proclaim as you go, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Get this, heal the sick, raise the dead, Cleanse lepers, lepers, cast out demons. You, will, you received without paying, give without pay. Acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey or two tunics or sandals or a staff for the laborer deserves his food. And whatever town or village you enter, find out who is worthy in it and stay there until you depart. As you enter the house, greet it. If the house is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And if anyone will not receive you or listen to your words, shake off the dust from your feet, your sandals, when you leave that house or town. Truly, truly, I say to you, it would be more bearable on the day of judgment for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah than for that town, the, the, the people that don't listen to you. So again, a lot of scripture, but some highlights here for us. I love when Jesus says, proclaim as you go. Again, if we are disciples of Christ, then if we were following Jesus at that time, he may have sent us out. And indeed, that great commission that Ty was talking about on the video two weeks ago, we are all called to go out. And the first thing I think God has for us is, are we living lives that proclaim that the kingdom of God is at hand? Are we living lives? Can people see upon our lives that Jesus is there? That Jesus is the pinnacle of our hope? That the reason we can get up every day and experience the joy of the Lord is truly because of what he's done in our life. The fact of the matter is that people who, who don't know us might not know the reasons for why we do what we do, but we have many, many people in our lives, our family, our coworkers, all of them that know intricately that can see the hope of Jesus on us. Are we living lives that proclaim as we go? The kingdom of heaven is at hand. I love and was kind of perplexed in verse 11 where Jesus said, find out who is worthy in it. I think 
so often in these times, there's some very loud voices in our culture right now. And in fact, social media and, and news media and everything is designed to give the, the biggest platform to the loudest voices. And they tend to be the people far on this side and the other voices far on this side. And sometimes we get stuck in the fact of, of seeing our biggest enemies and shrinking back, thinking that there's no hope because I can't meet the needs of that person. I can't meet the needs of the loudest opposition to the gospel in Nanaimo or the loudest opposition to the gospel in my classroom or my workplace. But I love what Jesus says here. He doesn't say, go and find out your biggest opposition and preach at them and shout at them and wrestle with them and take them down for the gospel. He doesn't say that. He says, go find who is worthy. When I read that text, I'm reminded that if I forget about the loudest voices, that there's a whole bunch, there's 90% of people who are stuck in the middle of this left and right battle shouting at each other. People who are hungry for a solution. People who can see the divisions in our culture and are just looking for hope. There are people... They're not the loudest opposition, but there are people who are hungry. And we can let ourselves be so easily succumb to the distraction of the loud, loudest voices. We need to search out the people who are hungry. And it's not a certain demographic. It's not a certain group of people. Everyone you find in downtown on the streets in Nanaimo, there are some really humble homeless people who are hungry for the, the word of God in their lives. In fact, we have people who have come in Oceanside out of homelessness through hearing the gospel, through hearing hope. And there are people who are tremendously proud in that position as well, who will reject it at every term. It's not something that's bowed by social or economic status. It's just a proposition of the heart. And Jesus encourages us to find the worthy. And then he, he encourages us to shake the dust from our feet when we find the people who aren't worthy, who aren't ready to receive who instead of receiving the good news, shout back and say, that is terrible news. That's the worst news you could ever give mankind. Jesus tells us to move on from those people. And instead of staying bogged down with them, to move on to more, find more hungry people. I love in the same section of, of Mark, he tells them to go out in pairs. He sent the, says the disciples went out two by two. How many of us are trying to live out this sending just on our own? The fact of the matter is that if you're in a connect group and you talk about the people that in your life, strategy comes, accountability comes. Hey, how's the conversation going with that person comes? God wants us to do this in unity. Again, sorry, just breezing by here. There's so much content here. I was trying to cut and it, nothing got cut in the end, but um, <laughs> maybe I'll get cut short by time. But the next piece that I think is important for us to know is that Jesus actually spends a lot of time in this section. If you've got your Bibles open, just, just look through the headings there. Jesus spends a lot of time talking about bad stuff that's going to happen to the disciples. In Matthew from verse 16, reading to 23, it says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. So be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of men, for they will, they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. And you will be dragged before governors and kings for my sake to bear witness before them and the Gentiles. 
when they deliver you. Again, not if they deliver you over, when they deliver you over. Do not be anxious. This is the encouragement. Do not be anxious about how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. The next verse is troubling. Brother will deliver brother over to death, and father his child. And children will rise against parents and have them put to death. And you will be hated, you will be hated by all for my name's sake. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to the next. Again, that if they persecute you here, flee to the next town. For truly I say to you, you will not have gone through all the towns in Israel before the Son of Man comes again. That's some hard stuff to read. And it's not a verse that we often talk, talk about or it's not a verse that we, we often think about. It's, you know, we might think, hey, that verse really applies to you know, Christians living in Eritrea or Iran or these other places that have definite physical persecution against them. But the reality is true for all of us as Christians. If we're living a gospel that counts, if we're living a gospel that is actually coming against something, there is going to be opposition to us. And if we think some, something has gone wrong in our generation, something has gone wrong in, in the generation, I'm, again, I'm not middle-aged, I'm 33, um, so I think I'm not middle-aged yet, but in my generation of 20s and 30s, whatever category that puts me in, there is this thing for believers who, who are my peers that says, oh, where there is conflict, there must be something wrong with the gospel I'm preaching. There must be something wrong because the people aren't receiving it well. Or because it's making definitions, they're saying, oh, it's a bit too tight. The restrictions are a bit too tight on that. If you just expand it a little, if you just expand it and expand it and expand it, then you would have a gospel that everyone would love, everyone would appreciate. It would be good news to everyone. And that is the way, if we're honest, that we have come to think. And as I see people, my peers, my friends, the people who I grow up with, walk away from Christ, it's been that slow thing of the gospel is abrasive at times, therefore I'm going to smooth it out and make it gentler to the listening ears, the people who I want to receive it. But the reality is, church, that while Jesus is full of love, while Jesus welcomes people in with open arms, while he's transformative and loving, there is no person more loving than him. Our hearts are so hard that they would see it as terrible news. The people who aren't ready for it hate it. That's why, the Jew, that's why he's telling his disciples that they will hand you over. Church, we go out today in the midst of wolves. We go out today. It says that when they will deliver us, God gives us the solution to not be anxious in that hour because his spirit is on us. And I love at the end, he just says, if they persecute you in one town, flee to the next town. Don't stop the mission. Don't give up because there's persecution. Go and find the next town. Maybe you'll get better luck there. Maybe he's being softer on them because they're still in this sort of training phase. The gospel is loaded. It stirs up real opposition. Obviously, some opposition to the church in these times with all the news that's coming out of North America uh, with schools and, and the history of uh, some churches in Canada. Some of that opposition is really valid. Some of that, and it's hard to sift through this stuff. But there is a way forward. Even with the pure, unadulterated gospel, there will be opposition. 
The next thing Jesus tries to encourage, point number three is that Jesus encourages his disciples. But as I was reading this, you know how someone encourages you with, you know, like, hey, it's not that bad. Or you're not completely terrible or something like that. You're like, I appreciate your attempted encouragement, but it doesn't feel like the best encouragement that I could have got here. I got to say on the first read through Jesus' encouragement here, that's kind of how I think about Jesus' encouragement. It's not kind of the encouragement I was hoping for. But again, when, when, when my needs are being met through Scripture, it's probably me that's wrong, not Jesus. So let's look at Jesus' reason for why we should have good courage as we go. He says this in verse 24. He says, A disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant his, must, his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. It's enough for us to be like Jesus. If they have called the master of the house, Jesus is talking about himself, if they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, which is the devil, how much more will they malign those of his household? Jesus is saying, they hate me. I am the unadulterated gospel. Jesus Christ is the unadulterated gospel. There is, he did everything perfectly through his walk, and they hated him. How much more will they hate you? Because you're not even representing perfectly, probably. But then he says this. So he says, so, because of that, so he says, so, have no fear of them. Basically, because I was persecuted, because I'm going to be persecuted, have no fear of them. Nothing, and then Jesus turns us towards the eternal. Nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Not one of them and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even your hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, for you are more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny before my Father who is in heaven. And again, it can be like, what is Jesus pointing to as the reason not to fear? He's pointing to our eternal position with God. Again, that, that something within my soul doesn't quite like that. No, do not fear because they will eventually come around. Because on their deathbed, they will say, oh, Andy was right when he shouted at me in third grade that Jesus loved him. Andy was right. No, Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus gives us the reason that we are to have good courage is because that when we acknowledge Jesus in front of our wealth, he will acknowledge us. And that is the only thing that matters, church. And I think in the, in the precipice of our culture with, with so many flashpoints and ignition points and trigger points and all, this, all these many points in our culture, we are becoming more and more timid about showing and proclaiming the gospel as we go, right? Yet Jesus says, those who acknowledge me before man, I will acknowledge in front of my Father. That is why we can get, again, if you look at the history of the disciples, every one of them, pretty much every one of them, suffered death because of the gospel that they were spreading. 
So Jesus' hope wasn't rooted in actually everything's going to be okay on this earth. Actually, your friends are eventually going to come around. Actually, no, he comes back to it's all going to be worth it because you're going to stand before me and I'm going to attest that you are my son because you stood for me. Let's acknowledge Jesus to the world. And the last thing that Jesus does in this passage is he clarifies. Again, this is so important to our culture about where we find ourselves as we practice this Instagram faith of only showing the good and only hearing um, the good stuff sometimes. From verse 34, Jesus says, as he's just about to send the disciples out, do not think that I have come to bring peace to the world. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set man against his father and daughter against his, her mother and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. A person's enemies will be of their own household. Whoever loves their father more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Get this, verse 20, 39. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. That's what it's all about. We find ourselves in the death of Jesus Christ. And we find ourselves in the death of ourselves. The harsh words that Jesus has here may not, may again be too hard for us in our first century, but you can bet to, to a Muslim who's accepted the faith in a, in a very hardline country, who's heard the gospel, and we know that these interactions are many. We know these stories. These, these stories are even part of our, of our church. But we know that if you're in one of those places that, a father will turn their son over to death because they've accepted Jesus. Jesus speaking in real terms here. And we can look at that thing of taking up our cross and following me. And it could be hard to find that, but it's hard to escape that whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Church, we need to know the seriousness of the task that's before us. I think sometimes we forget in the comfort of our first world condition, in the, you know, in the, in the lack of sort of the pressure cooker of, of division. Like there's divisions in our culture, but it's not so um, drastic like, like these other countries that force believers into action. But we need to lose our life to Jesus so that we can find it. In Matthew 1, in Matthew 10, verse 1, and in Mark 6, 7, he tells, before he says all of this, it, te- it tells him that he, he's giving them authority to go do the mission. Again, the, the mission that God's got for us, the ability to stand out, the ability to walk, the ability to, to love on our enemies, it's all too much for us. But in Matthew 10, verse 1, it says, he called his to him, his 12 disciples, and he gave them authority. Who here has the authority of Christ in their life? I can tell you, it's, it's one of the, we have it, church. If we're his disciples, if we've been baptized into new life, into his spirit, there is something of the authority of God on us, church. 
We need to know that Jesus is giving us authority to go into the world. It says in, in all of the, the accounts of seeing of, of this, it says, Jesus gave them authority over unclean spirits. Then Matthew highlights as well, to cast them out, to heal every disease and affliction. Jesus is actually in the business of equipping and training his church to go and do the mission. And church, if there's any response that I think I want to pull our attention to today, is that we need to ask God for a greater level of authority. We don't have time to unpack exactly what authority means, but if a police officer stands out in the robe and he's got the right clothes on and he puts out his hand, what do you do? You stop. If someone walked out in the middle of the road and put up their hand, well, maybe you'd stop. Maybe you go, you know you wouldn't have to stop. You'd probably drive around them. But if a police officer, it's no difference in the humanity of that person, but what they represent to you is completely different. They have immediate authority over you. And guess what? If you drive around that police officer, what's going to happen? Every police officer in Nanaimo is going to come find you until they figure out why you tried to evade that police officer. I loved watching that show. Uh, well, back home, it's called Police Camera Action, and they've, you know, it's, it's, it's criminals in London running from the, the British cops, and they would get helicopters out and thermal vision, night vision, and uh, it's usually like, in England, it's like a guy on a moped. That's uh, it. Um, here, over here, and I'm sure the South Africans have a, a, a better TV show, um, a more critical one, but... Um, There's that thing of authority. When someone tries to escape the authority of that system, it comes down. We need to know that we have a greater authority. Every, it says over unclean spirits, we can actually go into the world. The funny thing is, is that, you know, okay, Jesus gives them authority over unclean spirits to heal the sick, to raise the dead, all of this other stuff. But he still says that they're going to have to flee from one town to the other. Again, we can think of that thing as that God has given us authority, therefore it's going to be easy sailing. Therefore, I'm going to have so much authority that no one's going to be able to disagree with me. No one's going to be able to come against. No, in fact, the greater authority, the greater the opposition to that authority while we live here. Church, the gospel is accompanied with power. And we need to ask ourselves, and we need to stand as maybe the worship team comes back up, and as I invite Mike to come back up here just in a second here, we need to ask God, God, what authority do you want to put on my life? Can you imagine a police officer walking around Nanaimo not thinking he has any authority? What would he do? He'd put his hand in his pockets, he'd put his head down, and just walk around. For a police officer to not act in the authority to which he's been granted would be criminal because he would see something happening. He would have the ability to intervene and he would not do it. That would be criminal. For the two British divers not to fly to Thailand, maybe it wouldn't have been criminal, but it would have gone past everything in that unconscious conscience not to go. If a doctor drives past the scene of an accident, I believe that they're required to stop. If you have the ability to help, you help. And church, we're living as a church that is driving past the scene of an accident, driving past the world, driving past people every day. And we, are we stopping? Do we know that we've been given authority to speak into people's lives? 
to invite them on. I'm not saying having the biggest argument with the biggest opposition on the biggest thing, on the biggest hot topic. No. Stopping for the person that you can help. Church, the... God is in the business of equipping his church with authority. And as we come out of COVID, as we come out of all the things that we know have been so wrong with these last two and a a half years, one and a half years, we now need to turn our attention to the world. The children were lost. Well, guess what? There's more lost children. The world is busy going down that tunnel, going down that cave system, exploring the ins and outs, finding the cool things. And what they don't realize is the tunnel's filling up with water. The further our culture gets down, the harder the escape is. But God is equipping us. And God is sending us like those divers who went down and say, I'm going to see. I don't care if we're nine days deep. I don't care if the odds of life are minimal. I'm going to go. Two divers, two of the 100 divers died as a result of that. They counted the cost. They laid down their lives for the possibility of finding life. And can you imagine the hope? Boys who were who long before, days and days before, the batteries on their artificial light had run out long ago. All they could exist in was the damp and the cold. It was easy for them to feel the hopelessness of their situation. But can you imagine the delight as they saw a ripple? How light, how bright would have that light have been to eyes that haven't seen light for days and days and days? It would have been a blinding light. And how many people in Anaimo have been years and years and years without seeing a glimmer of light? They're in our family, they're all around us. Some of you are here today, perhaps, and we have the light with us. We need to realize that we are trained to go. It's a massive rescue. It's too much. But that's why we're here. We're here to be encouraged. We're here to go out. Yes, there's opposition, but it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if it's tough. The mission is too great. So perhaps uh, just invite Mike up here, but as we respond, just ask God for authority. Ask God to speak in those situations. Jesus actually wants to give us authority today. Okay? Good. Thank you.